I'm Tegan. I'm Sarah. And I'm Lily from Beach Bunny. And this is the LSQ Podcast. Jenny Ellisque, thanks for pressing play on episode 62 of the LSQ podcast, and it was awesome getting to do a little something different this time than the usual one-on-one, a more roundtable type of conversation, where Tegan and Sarah, early LSQ guests, join me, as does Lily Trefilio, front person for the up-and-coming Chicago band Beach Bunny. The occasion for us all talking together is that recently Beach Bunny had a song from their 2020 debut album, go massively viral, the song Cloud Nine, where the chorus includes the line, and when he loves me. And as a result of various factors you'll hear Lily talk about in this conversation, Beach Bunny decided to record an alternate version where Tegan and Sarah guest and where each chorus features different pronouns. And it was great just to watch Tegan and Sarah and Lily get to know each other a bit better over our Zoom. I apologize in advance for a little bit of unforeseen Zoom glitchiness. And where we begin here is, uh, essentially, I was just asking them all what they've been up to lately. So the first voice you'll hear is Lily's. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, me, me and the boys were just at the studio rocking out, drinking lots of coffee, not sleeping much. It's it's a fun time. You know, your album came out on Valentine's Day of 2020. So everyone... Uh, was unprepared at that point for what was going to happen next and I'm sure you were thinking (laughs) that you were all about to hit the road on tour and do the whole thing and then we know what happened but now are you is are there shows that are that are going to be happening for Beach Bunny now that things are starting to look a bit safer it seems like it uh everything's been scheduled for like the later half of fall so I guess we'll just be like the rest of the world's kind of feeling it out hoping for the best and Tegan and Sarah, what have y'all that where are you uh, now? You're in your respective homes, but uh, geographically, where are you? And, and uh, what are your plans for this, the second half of this year, basically? We, Tegan and I are both in Vancouver and uh, up in Canada, and we have been here riding up the pandemic. We both had sort of just recently re- relocated from Los Angeles to Vancouver permanently and um, so it was sort of timely. I've been actually, I've taken to calling myself an oracle because I would always say to my long-term partner, um, whose name is Stacy, that I would always say to Stacy, like, you got to come up and live in Canada. Like, let me protect you. What if something bad happens? Like, we should get you residency. Like, you just never know what kind of calamity could occur. <laughs> you know, you'd want to be able to come up to Canada. And then we moved up here and then an, a worldwide pandemic started. So she's like, she really respects me in a new new way. So um, yeah, anyways, God, sorry, that was a tangent. Um, Tegan and I are just doing what Tegan and Sarah um, do, you know, making music and, and writing books and just thinking up ways to keep ourselves, um, you know, relevant. Tegan became a parent. Tegan, amazing. Yeah, well, it's a fur parent. I mean, I didn't, Tegan? Uh, it's not. Love. You're right. Love You're right. Responsibility is responsibility. Yes. I got a dog like <laughs> many, many other people during COVID and it's um, a truly exhausting and destabilizing experience, <laughs> but one in which I'm sure we'll get to the other side of and be like, I'm really glad I did that. <laughs> well, obviously the last, the last record that you guys put out, um, Hey, I'm just like you was 
related to the to the memoir of your high school years. But it was, you know, it was looking back, it was a group of songs that you worked on from from earlier. Um, so I'm guessing there must be kind of a reserve of new, new songs of new, new, new songs starting to build. Is that, <laughs> is that a safe assumption to make? Yeah. Lily said she was going to produce the record actually last time we spoke, she <gasps> signed a contract and everything. <laughs> <laughs> a verbal? It was a verbal agreement. No, we, we Tegan and I are, we're, we're deep into writing and we just not, aren't entirely sure what that's going to look like. Like, is it an album? Is it a song? Is it? We don't know, you know, it's so, it's so hard to keep up with the kids these days and give them what they, what they want. We've also made some, like, this would be our 10th album. So we're also trying to figure out like, do we need a 10th album? Do we just want to just throw a couple yes. out and see? Thanks, Jenny. Thank you, Come Jenny. On. What? Jenny wants an album, you guys. <laughs> I mean, everything we do will eventually turn into an album. I think we're just, we're up, up in Canada right now. It's like, we're, we're, we haven't even really most people haven't been vaccinated yet. And so we're just sort of slowing our role. Like we're not going to be able to launch a tour. And so do we want to throw a record out and then mm -hmm. not be able to tour it? We already just did that. We put Ham Just Like You out and similar to the situation that Lily and the guys found themselves in. We weren't able to tour, had to cancel everything. So I think we want to put music out, but not necessarily drop a record and then not be able to pr promote it properly and tour it. So, so we'll see, but there's like a big, there's a giant pile. I think we just crossed the 20 song mark. So we generally try to write about twice that and then make a record so but to segue to Lily I would say that like being participating in in cloud nine and getting to go into the studio it was like oh yeah we're musicians because we've been in writing world for such a long time you know we're working on our second book and we just finished two graphic novels last year and so I forgot that I was a musician and I think going into the studio and cutting vocals for the song reminded me oh right like that's that's our main gig we should probably get back to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lily, tell me a little bit about just sort of how you figured out or found out that Cloud9 was starting to pop off at that level. Like, and, and have you discerned anything about how the fuck that works? Like how that kind of thing happened? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's super bizarre having something blow up when it's like a year old, especially. Um, which it wasn't like disappointing in any way, but it was like, wait, really? That bad album? Are you sure? Um, and I think it just started with people, uh, taking like a segment of the song on TikTok and, um, like showing off their significant others, but then it like blossomed into an even bigger thing where people were just putting the song in videos that like had nothing to do with love or romance. Super bizarre though. But TikTok is like that. It just grabs something and like sends it. It's interesting to think that you can sort of, and that you can figure out what songs might work in that arena or that you can present songs in a creative way or make people look at your song in a different way. We lost you, Jenny. I'll take bets on the back half of Jenny's sentence. I think she was going to say like, you can make people see the song different by creating visuals that tell a completely different story, maybe. I mean, you could even tell a different <laughs> story than the music video that you made for the song. <laughs> that was a good one. That was a good guess. I have a thought. I have a thought, but I want to wait for Jenny to come back because. Oh, oh, there she and is. She's back. I don't know if you heard all my question. I figured out that was happening midway through. The question was whether um, any of the kind of creative interpretations of Cloud Nine are part of what inspired revisiting it and doing this this new version of it. And yeah, if y'all can tell me a bit, Lily, maybe if you can start just kind of how uh, that idea arose and came to fruition. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it was, um, I would say it was pretty direct communication from, from a lot of like supporters 
being like, oh, I love singing this song, but I, but I use the alternate pronouns, maybe not necessarily asking for a new version, but um, just presenting like covers and stuff like that. And my significant other uses different pronouns like they, them. So it just seemed like a really good fit to, you know, redo the song. And I think seeing the response, especially online, very clearly from fans has been re- re- like reaffirming that that was a good move. Tell me about a little bit about the, the genesis of Beach Bunny as, as your um, musical endeavor. Yeah, I mean, it, it was quite a slow growing project. It started just me like acoustic playing open mics. And then my ex was uh, entering a battle of the bands. And so I wanted to beat his band, but I couldn't by myself. So then I had to get a band to destroy him. Um, But he ultimately (laughs) won the short game, but I think I won the long game. So. (laughs) Very much so, very much so. And when, when did you first start to like be drawn to music or to feel musical? I feel like in high school, I just participated in a lot of like, uh, I don't know, like talent shows and choir and things like that, Um, but had never written any of my own music. And then like going into college, there's such a strong music scene in Chicago, and especially at DePaul, um, that I felt like everyone I met, like the first week was in a band somehow. I was like, whoa, this is, is this like a Chicago thing or what's going on? But I just, I think I just got lucky and it was meant to be that way. And they influenced um, me wanting to like pursue music a lot, for sure. What are the artists whose music gives you that feeling that sort of you're looking to get out of your own, you know, that you're looking to imbue? You know what I mean? Like, who are the artists who really spoke where you when you were first starting to formulate your uh, identity as an artist yourself that felt like that was the (laughs) energy you wanted to emulate? That's a really good question. I mean, I, I'm a Thank sucker you. for like a, <laughs> for for a strong chorus. So I feel like like projects such as like ABBA like would be a big influence, or like I, I'm a big fan of Marina and the Diamonds. I feel like she's really great at executing big, powerful choruses. But I also gravitate towards artists that I guess have something something to say when you listen to their song, and it isn't just like a string of cliches or things that have been talked about before. I like when people approach from like a new angle. How has your kind of approach to songwriting evolved since you first started? Do you, do you have a, pro, do you have a specific process or sort of like mm. a way that you need to do it um, when you're first starting a song out on your own before you bring in the guys? I, I think for the most part, I'm, I write songs when I'm feeling like some kind of intense emotion. So they almost in a way like write themselves. It's sort of like me, uh, instead of writing in a diary, I'm sort of flushing it out through lyrics. And even with the melodies, I feel like that that sort of just, um, I try to match the vibe of what I'm feeling inside. And that's been pretty consistent throughout the course of Beach Bunny. I think maybe I'm at a point where I'm more confident with what I'm talking about and, and I feel okay with being more vulnerable my lyrics instead of keeping it surface level. I guess for Tegan and Sarah, I'm curious, was there ever a kind of a pivot for you where you realized like uh, that you had to approach uh, lyric writing or songwriting differently? Or like, can you, looking back now, can you see that there was a moment where you're like, we need to deepen our approach to this? Yeah, I mean, I. it's funny because when we were teenagers, I think we were, um, we were kind of, writing 
really personal songs, but there was definitely a lot of like allegory and metaphors and that was confusing. And we also were just like teenagers. So we were like little assholes too, you know? So we were writing, you know, inflammatory lyrics just to get reactions, I think. Um, and probably because we were closeted, there was also this really kind of addictive process of like getting really close to the line to saying something that was really like honest without actually saying it um, that probably fueled the early songwriting, at least on, for me. Um, it's interesting because a lot of our fans, especially the diehards, they'll, they'll, they'll tell us that they think our early records are so much more raw and vulnerable and honest than our records are now. And I completely disagree. And it's just one of those funny things where I think as our music has gotten more slick and produced, it gives the impression that we're being less vulnerable, but I actually think we were still really hiding in the early part of our career musically or sorry, lyrically. Um, but I definitely think you know, records like If It Was You, So Jealous and The Con, that era. So we would have been, you know, sort of early 20s through our mid to late 20s. That's when we really, I think, got our most vulnerable and most raw. You know, we started to talk about things like Lily was just saying, like kind of got away from writing about just what everyone writes about and kind of started to explore death and divorce and the end of things and um, insecurity and loss. And I think, you know, at every year that we, get older and continue to write, we're more comfortable exploring those kinds of things. But I think I've still always leaned back that a great pop song is something that everyone can relate to. And I think the best, or for me anyway, the best high is writing something that I look out in the audience and see a whack of different people all relating to, because to me, that's 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 the, the real goal is to write your own personal experience. It's unique to you, but then find a way to weave everyone else's story into it. And I think in that way, you do have to write maybe slightly more generally, but but not boring and not full of cliches, you know, so. Um, but also, you know, there at Tegan, you're sitting there with a large bookcase behind you of many, many bound books. So yeah, have you found that uh, that you've become sort of a more um, voracious consumer of writing and language as you've uh, written more yourself? Yeah, 100%, absolutely. I mean, we were always really big readers and we consumed a lot of different kinds of art growing up and we're encouraged to really explore, you know, all parts of ourselves through different mediums for sure. And I think as we've become more successful in music, the desire to not tread too heavily on, on territory we've already covered has been a big focus for us. So we've definitely ventured out and, you know, I give full props to Sarah really for being the one very early on in our career, starting to read and explore writers and voices and stories that were really outside of our own experience and then bring that into the music. And I think, I, I mean, I think Sarah's a far stronger lyricist than I am. I think that she writes really complicated um, melodies and structures, but her lyrics just are so visual and so beautiful. I think she crafts, I think if, I'm, if I didn't have Sarah, we wouldn't be, our, our band wouldn't be as good. Like I think Sarah has a lot of credibility. So, but I, yeah, the, the short answer is yes, I think we see writing and reading and exploring other art as a way to infuse our music um, with more depth and, and intelligence and, and thoughtfulness and, and with more touch points for other people to connect to, for sure. I just want to publicly th uh, acknowledge that I accept Tegan's um, flattery and compliments. And <laughs> um, I think she's okay. She's all right too. She's got, she, she has some good qualities as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I sort of, I, I hit y'all up ahead of time to say, to think about sort of questions that you might ask one another. So I'm wondering, and especially for you, Lily, I know it's like, it's sort of just like, what are there things you're grappling with as a person in, in music in, in your early phase of, 
of doing this at a very high level now. You know what I mean? Like just millions of people are listening to your music now. And uh, are there any, uh, you know, are there any questions you have from elder states people? I'm sorry. (laughs) No, we'll take it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, um, well, I don't want to just ask for generic, like big sister advice. Um, Okay, one thing I think I am, struggling with a little bit which maybe y'all could help with is I feel like I get I'm on the defense when whenever people are critical um but not in like a productive way like if people are just like you suck like I almost want to like make response videos how do you guys not look at that stuff do you have any advice Mm. (laughs) to not pay attention (laughs) you know it's it's something that I think plagues any sensitive person who can you know if you're in a position to receive this feedback then I don't understand how you wouldn't feel some shades of you know like sadness or hurt feelings or anger and I think that at least I know for myself Tegan's a little bit she has a little thicker skin than I do and also which I think probably is that she's actually quite sensitive but so she has a much thicker skin and I um, and I, I think I have struggled with the trolling and the negative comments and the bad reviews or critical reviews um, on a more um, intense basis. And what I have honestly found is that the, the discipline and the act of not reading those things is the only way for me to deal with it. Because mm-hmm. even if I go into one of those situations and I tell myself like, who cares? Or you know, this person is just some random person. Like you, like it does, logic does not apply. And I can't get out of the, the, I can't get out of that negative place. And so I just don't read them. And I, it's made me feel disconnected at times from the feedback that we are getting or, or the love or the hate or the whatever in between, but it is the only way that I can sort of manage my own mental health and like, also not allow it to sort of disfigure my sense of self as an artist or as a person. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's a front, that's sort of like a, it, like to apply it to like a sobriety kind of thing. I'm not sober, but I think of myself in, in those terms when it comes to criticism, like I couldn't have a little bit of criticism. Like I just was like, it's either like I'm on a criticism bender and I feel like I'm <laughs> ruining my life and myself, or I'm just not going to read anything. And so I just don't read anything. Okay, here's, I'll add to this. I do oh, think God, staying away from it. Tegan's going to say the opposite. She's going to say the opposite, Lily. Nope. <laughs> I'm not. I'm actually not. I, I fully agree. I think abstaining from criticism and reading comments is, is a really, really healthy way to proceed forward, especially with the intense and heightened um, uh, focus and attention you're getting right now. Like I would definitely, I think abstaining is, is good advice. Um, but here's how I get through it. And So I'll tell you something that other people have told me and you should keep in mind at all times if possible. But what you're experiencing, this, you know, millions and millions and millions of people all of a sudden looking at you and listening to you and many of them having both good and bad things to say, that is such a unique thing that you're going through and not very many people are going to understand it. And you are incredibly talented and strong person like it doesn't it's not easy I know your success came through this in some ways through this viral experience on TikTok but there are literally 
now tens of thousands of artists attempting the exact same thing that happened to you organically. And there's a reason why it happened to you organically. And you are special and people like you're going to stand out. And so people are going to criticize you. And so you are going to see it. And all I do when those moments happen is say, man, I'm really lucky and I'm really grateful for all the success, but also like I stand out and there's going to be good and bad that comes from that. But what's happening to me doesn't happen to very many people. And so you can say mean things like that's your opinion and that's, that's whatever, but I am still this person and this is happening to me and I'm special. So I don't know, say what you will, but I just, I just kind of just mow it down. I'm just kind of like, it doesn't really matter. I also will say, I always ask myself, what is the, who is the kind of person that goes on to a person they don't know's profile and write something really cruel and mean? Who is that person? And I'm not like, that person's a monster. I'm not, I'm literally like, I don't know very many people that do that, but I wouldn't do it. And so I imagine there's probably something very complicated happening for that person, or maybe they've never had opportunity to have feedback given to them that way, or maybe they've had too much of it, but either way, um, it helps to deflate and diffuse the power of that. But to just ask myself, like, what kind of person is that? As we round into the home stretch, um, I, I'm curious, Lily, for for you and for your band, are you starting to work on album number two? And what are some of the challenges you're you're going to be getting into in the remainder of the year? Yeah, we're working on it right now. We're at the studio, <laughs> which has been super fun. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really really proud of all of these songs. Um, hearing them finally come together is so gratifying, especially after like a really really long break of not being able to do much. And yeah, we have touring planned for the end of the year, but like, I think the focus right now is just building this story that's that's in the album and like, I don't know, putting all the visuals in my head into videos and, and all of that stuff. I'm, I'm really excited to be working again. Tegan and Sarah, tell me, because you we can talk about this next book thing, right? That you were giving me a little info on at the, at the beginning of the call. Can you, can you tell uh, our listeners a bit about that? Yeah, we are just sort of in the early days of writing um, a a collection of essays and stories about being twins and sort of looking at, I guess, the good and bad of what it has felt like to be on this planet um, with with each other and and the the interactions and the the sort of life experience we've had through that sort of unique uh, lens. And once that project is sort of underway, we also have a sort of secondary project associated with it that is more of a podcast audio project that will sort of take some of the themes from that book about twins, uh, but we'll have more fun with it and get to do interviews with people like twin experts and you know people working in, in different fields, maybe not music, but I'd, we'd love to be able to talk to different kinds of twins who've had um, different kinds of experiences. And so it's a sort of multimedia project. We've also talked about trying to um, figure out an offshoot that would also be uh, a television sort of visual thing, just because obviously with twins, we think that there's a way to to tell some stories using the actual um, visual elements. Um, but we we sort of, the, the sort of like uh, the inspiration for all of this is that as twins, we always have felt like twins are misrepresented and misunderstood. And they're either like evil or creepy or like there's like so many different kinds of experiences and types of twins and we really wanted to I don't know just like sort of look at that like really explore that through our own experiences but through other twins experiences and so we're sort of seeing it as like a as a sort of far-reaching project um, that we're going to spend probably the next you know year really focused on. 
it's pretty awesome that the on the meta level, it's like an examination of your entanglement with each other that requires further entanglement. Oh my God. I think that one of the first things I remember, like when I started going to therapy um, in my twenties, I remember one of the first things that I really wanted to like dig into was this kind of existential crisis about being a twin, you know, like this idea that, that I was both wholly unique, but then also was like, sort of like a scientific mistake, you know, like I I was always going to feel like I was supposed to be one thing, but I was two and, and this sort of vulnerability and sort of like almost mental confusion that came with that. Like I, it was like, it was like, I only really figured that out in my twenties, like when I was away from Tegan, like up until that point, I'd just been like, didn't think that much about being twins, but I think that how I sort of overcame all of that was realizing that um, we're doomed. Like, you know, it's like you can try to make yourself <laughs> unique or whatever, but we are just so doomed and we just have this experience and there's nothing you can do, but like lean into it big time. So we, that is what we're doing. We're really leaning into it. And hopefully I hope without sounding corporate rebranding or like recontextualizing what it means to be a twin and giving, mm-hmm. I think at leveling it up or like sophistication because when you really look at twins, like what is sort of like publicly enjoyed or whatever, it's like, it is pretty wacky. And I, and we just, we kind of want to look at all of it. Although this is sort of our closing note, I I don't want to bury this in the fact that this uh, episode is coming out during pride month. And I really was enriched by talking to you guys, Tegan and Sarah for our first go round with the podcast about at that time, we were talking a lot about like making concerts sit into safer spaces and Mm -hmm. the way, the ways in which you were, really looking at that and looking at the data and trying to help put together a binder that would make concerts into safer spaces. Um, mm-hmm. And I wonder, you know, as we listen here in, in Pride Month 2021, just sort of what action items y'all are interested in, obviously, like gender affirming healthcare for trans youth is very important and something that people need to be making allies of themselves um, and, and mm-hmm. that, in that area. But yeah, what are some kind of action items that you think for allies that, that we can be helping with? I mean, look, Pride Month is a, it's, just, it's awesome that, that we spend a month focusing on how to be better allies and, and, you know, put a focus on all the issues that remain for, you know, the umbrella of LGBTQ plus communities um, out there. And I, I think that it would just be wonderful if we could extend that for the whole year. I think, I think unfortunately, we still are living in the aftermath of marriage equality where everyone thought, okay, great, we got marriage equality, we're all good. And it's like, you know, there are just everyday stuff that affects um, the LGBTQ plus community still that we need to focus on. So, I mean, I think a few action items, certainly it just keeping it music related is, is, is just continuing to push to have as much diversity in the mainstream as possible, to have as many voices represented. You know, I feel thrilled that the success that we've had, but is, you know, white, cis, queer women, you know, looking at it, it's not as hard for us, you know, and I think that we just continue to think about ways to get women into uh, different parts of our industry, you know, hiring more diversely when it comes to the road, hiring more diversely when we're in the studio, you know, it just a big focus of our Tegan and Sarah Foundation is about economic justice. And, and I just think that we still see uh, far too few women and queer people and people of color in you know, positions of power and in the higher paid positions in our industry, you know, running labels as managers, as road crew and technical positions that get paid really well. And I just, I, you know, I challenge music listeners, but also people in the music industry to, to think, think bigger and to focus on that. I think that'd be a great way to show up for, for 
for LGBTQ people in the month of pride. Don't just slap a, a rainbow on your cheek, you know, think, think about when you're hiring and think about who you're hiring and think about who you're promoting and who you're amplifying from your platform. Did you mean, yeah. butt, did you mean butt cheek or did you mean cheek cheek? Either cheek, you know, I mean, during pride, a lot of people put it on their butt, but like, yeah. that's fine, but just saying. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much, all three of you for connecting with me for this. Thank you so much for having us. Always a pleasure, Jen. All right. Thank you so much for listening to episode 62. You've made it to the end. And massive thanks, of course, to Tegan and Sarah for coming back on again and uh, to Lily from Beach Bunny for our first visit. And hopefully I'll get to dig in more with her in the future. And next time on the LSQ podcast, I loved the conversation I'll be sharing in a few weeks with a songwriter and producer called Pooh Bear, who's worked extensively with Justin Bieber, among others. Um, And yeah, lots of great stuff on the horizon for upcoming LSQ episodes. So subscribe if you've got that option the way you're listening. And when you've got questions or feedback or want to say what's up, I'm on Twitter at JennyLSQ, same handle on Instagram as well. Talk to you next time.